This week, we welcome John McPherson to the show. John is a Scotch specialist for PMA Canada, representing a dozen of the world's most prestigious brands of Scotch whiskey. John's a great guy and easy to talk to, and it definitely comes through in our interview with him. We talk with John about how he developed an interest in whiskey, his time spent working at a banquet hall, and some of the chaos that ensues when guests are given free liquor. We also touch on some of the regional nuances of Scotch, as well as talk about some of John's personal favorites in his whiskey collection at home. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip, but this is Dan. What's going on, man? Hey, I'm doing all right. Just enjoying the summer heat. Yeah, uh, yeah it is steamy here in Kitchener-Waterloo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, too hot. Oh, and we're also in stage one as well. Yep, still in stage one, the only city in the province that still is in uh, stage one of the reopening plans. Correct, correct, correct. A lot of fucking smart people. Yes, the unvaccinated. Yeah. Kind, so. Well. Uh, first world problems, what are you going to do? We have no choice. That's <laughs> yes, the way it is. That's right. Yeah, we'll just deal with it. So still so four people... Have, Four people max at an outdoor table is what we're looking at here. Yeah, in and the weather is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, we have a great guest as always for you this week. Uh, John McPherson is going to be joining us very soon. Uh, get the details out of the way first. If you want to be on the Industry Podcast as a guest, you should DM us at the Industry Podcast. And uh, always, uh, as I mentioned, subscribe, rate, review. That helps us a great deal. Big shout out, as always, to at Zach Anna Design for all the great design work he does for mm-hmm. us. Okay, well, let's uh, stop fucking around here and get right at this. Okay, yeah. All right. Uh, joining us right now is John McPherson. How are you doing, John? Great, thanks. How are you guys? We doing are doing okay. Well, doing well. Yeah, as, as good as can be expected. <laughs> COVID good, we call it. Yeah, COVID yeah. good. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> so you're coming to us uh, for just as I bury Ontario, which means you guys are a phase ahead of us. You can have <laughs> six people at I a table. Six at a table, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and are you currently, you're, uh, so John is the uh, brand ambassador for a bunch of different scotches for PMA Canada. Is that your only job right now? Or are you also working in, a, in the industry? Uh, my, my former, uh, job, I was uh, a bar manager and then food and beverage manager at a wedding venue. They're about to get crazy. So I figure I'll help them out a little bit in my spare time. But for the most part, this, this takes up almost all of my time right mm-hmm. now. It's uh, virtual tastings. Uh, so it's making up little kits and sending them out. But now as the world starts to slowly open back up, I'm sure there'll be in-person tastings and working with, uh, uh restaurants and you name it, it'll happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're starting to get back into that, uh, that uh, finally, I think. I just had a meeting earlier today about doing an event with an ambassador, and I was like, wow, I can't even remember the last time I did one of these. <laughs> like, it's, it's crazy. Uh, and for someone like you, too, it must be really weird, like, having to make such a, like, a, a sharp right turn into doing sort of everything over Zoom or, or, or however you're, or Skype or however you're doing it. Uh, how have you found that transition? It was a little bit odd. So, I mean, we were furloughed for a little bit just as kind of COVID started and no one really knew what was going on. Uh, We came back mid to late summer um, last year in 2020 and it was this, all right, get to work. And I was like, okay, uh, let's see how we do this. And so it was uh, offer one virtual tasting, tweak how it worked, do a second one. Uh, one of my brands, Glenn Fittick, has this awesome virtual distillery tour that really kind of worked as a jumping off point for me, um, where it was, I've got this, it's usually done in person on a screen or on a projector, but hey, I can show my screen on uh, on Zoom and we can we can visit Scotland without really visiting Scotland. Uh, and then I found ways to get the rest of the brands into it, figuring out how I can get p- uh, kits and, and whiskey into people's hands easier. Um, and it went from, yeah, kind of driving all over the province and doing tastings in person to arts and crafts in my basement while I was making <laughs> these kits. Yeah. And then talking into a camera and figuring mm. out how to make this this happen and, and hoping your jokes are landing without seeing faces. So right. <laughs> yeah. That's weird, right? Like, and yeah, it's for, for your job, which is such a social, like, sort of being in the room with the, with the people you're sort of preaching the brand to and tasting with, it's got to be weird. Like, you, you can't even see their reaction as they're tasting the spirits, so. That's, that's a big one, is usually, because I'll do groups of 
amateurs that have never really tasted scotch before to aficionados that know as much or more than I do. And it, it's kind of with the group, if you're with a bunch of newer people, you're looking at faces going, okay, they're grimacing, uh, help them enjoy the whiskey better because maybe they're not used to drinking 40 plus percent spirits straight. Whereas with the other groups, it's, it's seeing their reactions, seeing the even just the pleasant kind of smirk people get when they try something they like or going, oh, that's not for me. Because, you know, not not everything is for everyone. Some people right. love heavy peat and some people love sherry casks. Mm-hmm. Okay, so talk to us a little bit about, um, so you're, you're, as I mentioned, the Whiskey Ambassador for PMA Canada, which is a big distribution company here. What are the brands that you rep for them? Uh, so with our Scotch brands, I'm kind of spoiled. I've got 12 brands of Scotch. Jeez. I've got Glenfiddich, the Balvenie, Grants, and Monkey Shoulder from William Grant & Sons. I've got Brown Foreman Single Malts in Glendronic, Ben Riek, and Glenglassa. Uh, and then from Distel, I've got Bunahaven, Tobermory, Ledjek, uh, Black Bottle, and Deanston. Uh, I've also got one Irish whiskey in Tullamore Dew. Uh, and they actually recently just tweaked my role a little bit to give me more of our reserve portfolio to work with. So now I've got some some great bourbons in uh, Woodford Reserve and Old Forester. Um, and I've got like a really nice tequila in, in Haradura, uh, Hendrix Gin. So they've given me a bit more to play with in kind of the cocktail space, uh, mm. but still a heavy, heavy focus on those scotches. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge amount of scotch. <laughs> like, so how, I mean, obviously, I'm assuming you went to school, did some sort of whiskey courses at some point, some spirits courses. Um, a lot of it is actually learned over time just from working in the industry. Hmm. Um, it's kind of hilarious and my friends love to make fun of me, but I really wasn't into alcohol as like a teenager. In <laughs> yeah, like, me too. <laughs> <laughs> like it was first year university. One of my friends were, were, it's like a weekend and we've just met. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I don't really drink much. I don't think I've ever really been truly good and drunk. He says, what is your problem? So he, I, I mean, we were in first year university. I'm in Guelph. Uh, so he sits me down and uh, he grabbed a bottle of Smirnoff and Sprite and well, yeah, I felt it the next morning. Yeah, yeah. Smirnoff and Sprite. Well, at yeah, least you exactly. got into it the classy way. Yeah. <laughs> but my family's always been big into, into Scotch. I mean, I've got Scottish ancestry, so I've always found the history of it really, really interesting. Um, my aunt and uncle are big in, in whiskey clubs and, and, the, and the Quakes um, out that way in Peterborough. Um, so I've kind of always heard about it through that and the, and the history of Scotland. Uh, but I got... <laughs> Pretty into it from there, um, and, and a lot of it was self-taught. It was uh, I got really interested in scotch, uh, and I would do like tastings with my friends just at home, uh, and we would each bring a bottle of Johnny Walker or a bottle of Glenfiddich or or something, and we'd taste through it, and I'd learn the history about it myself, and go from there. Uh, started bartending later in university. Um, and, and learning a bunch there, absorbing what I learned from the customers oh. that were at the bar. Were you bartending in Guelph? Myself. Sorry? Were you bartending in Guelph? No. So um, I, I was uh, coming home on weekends and working um, at a wedding venue for the most part, uh, oh, okay. working a lot of open bars. Um, oh, so, yeah. That must be a good time. <laughs> the, the open bars are kind of crazy. You get like 300, 350 people. Um, and it's kind of like these weird lulls in the day where it's you start and it's cocktail hour and you've got 300 people pressing the bar and there's maybe two people behind the bar. Oh. So you're just going nuts. Uh, and then all of a sudden dinner service starts and they all disappear. But it's yeah. the same group for eight to ten hours and you start to actually get to know these people. Right. Um, and <laughs> yeah. dinner ends and it's open bar wedding. Let's freaking go. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of weird. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But like it's kind of a weird uh, uh, talking about being a bartender at a wedding venue. I don't know if we've had anyone on the show who's done that before. Maybe a couple like some one-off events or whatever. Yeah. But not as like their regular gig. It's kind of weird because you, you do develop a rapport with these people for a night, but then you never fucking see them again. So it's not like when you are working at behind the wood at a place and you're getting regulars, right? Exactly. That you, you get to know them, but then you're going to see them tomorrow. Like Exactly. We'd maybe see them a few months later be like, hey, you're bar guy from my friend's wedding. I'm back. And it's like, oh, Bud Light guy. Good to see you. Um, but, but like from there, it's, it, it's yeah, it, it was kind of weird. Um, it's just... I mean, I've bartended outside of the wedding industry before, and it's, it's such a different beast because, I, I mean, really, yeah, wedding bartenders or open bar bartenders, they're not handling cash. 
oftentimes the pours aren't being recorded as, as, as heavily as like behind a bar. Right. Uh, we're doing inventory before the, the event starts and after the end and be like, okay, we went through like 30 cases or whatever, depending mm. on the wedding. But it, it's, yeah, it, I, I, I parted it in behind some bars at actual restaurants and, and bars after that. And it was, it was just so different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a different animal. I've done the odd wedding every now and then. And it's just like, it's, uh, you're right uh, how it's like a rush and then it's nothing and then it starts again after the speeches and the dinners and whatever but it's such a weird because you're there for so long too like those days are so long yeah. and you're really busy and then you, you're so bored for just like hours like <laughs> like the best the worst thing is if you get stuck doing it with somebody who you don't really like or 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 someone who's just not like easy to talk to. Like I I did one where I was t- I was stuck behind the bar with this person. Totally fine. The dude was a good dude, but he was just like really quiet and didn't want to talk. And I'm like, what the fuck are we gonna do here all day? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was pretty lucky. We had like a good core group of five to six bartenders and a couple more part timers that were all really good, like fun to work with, social. I mean, it, at the weddings. If you want to make tips, you kind of have to be social and you got to remember right. faces and names and like quickly. Otherwise, mm-hmm. if, the, if the crowd doesn't like you early, they're not going to like you all night. Yeah. Well, and like the, for me, it's like if this guy is not going to make fun of the people dancing with me, then <laughs> well, I, don't know, I don't know where this is going to go. Yeah, you see some weird dancing. You see some weird dancing. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, funny. Yeah, well, weddings are crazy. Uh, my wife is, was a wedding photographer, so she's got a million nut stories about that as well. But like. Yeah, it's it's just a completely different type of event than almost anything else. Oh, yeah, out of curiosity, <laughs> did you ever see any good fights at uh, any of the weddings you were at? Oh man, you have no idea. <laughs> I mean, we had there was one week, and it was this was when I'd become the food and beverage manager, and there was one week. I don't know if it was a full moon, if there was something <laughs> in the water, but it was like all three nights so we could do three weddings at a time two weddings of 350 and then another smaller 150 wedding up top so we had a thousand people in the building on a full weekend Jeez. a thousand friday a thousand saturday a thousand sunday wow and sometimes like out front while people were out for a smoke one wedding mouths off to the other wedding and they're all in again open bars and it just <laughs> that mm-hmm. it goes and it's just like we've got two security guards and myself and the bar manager diving into it and it's just it's it gets wild. So we had some some big ones, and we had some interwedding uh, fights too. Where like in, inside their own wedding, like just I don't know, cousin one would bring ex or other cousin's ex girlfriend as their date, and they'd, oh. they'd say the wrong thing, and it's just like they've had three or four beers or more, and it's just tensions are high and that's it and like we had like flipped tables and grandparents <laughs> getting into it to try to break things up and like <laughs> it, it, it got wild and I mean I, I'm yet to talk to another wedding venue that hasn't had that just because you have we did over I think 250 weddings a year sometimes and you're gonna Ooh. see some stuff at some yeah, point yeah yeah so what do you do in that situation you're not getting involved right you're just like um, early days, we, we kind of tried to get involved because that was uh, back before like things had really ever gotten crazy and we didn't have security guards. We eventually mm-hmm. got security guards and the policy was like, stay out of it. But every now and then like a staff member would get hit and it's like, okay, I need to drag my staff member out to help them. And it, 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 right. it just got crazy sometimes. The, and and we, we got better at it, separating the weddings and keeping like, okay, we know this one's going to get out of control. <laughs> <laughs> And, and yeah, we, we kind of got good at it, but we, we definitely, I did one time have to choke out a guy that punched his wife in the face. Oh, oh. my God. Holy yeah. shit. That was wild. Was it the, <laughs> was it the bride and groom? Uh, no, thankfully not. <laughs> thankfully not. But it, it, yeah, it was, I, I was, I heard there was a fight, so I'm running up to see what I could do. And just as I kind of rounded the corner, I saw the guy unload on his wife. Wow. And I just, I didn't even mean to do it. I just kind of came to when I was on top of him with my arm oh, under his chin, yeah. just like see something like that that you got to do something <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. Holy yeah, exactly. Shit. you always think people have a bit more class at a wedding because everyone's dressed up but fuck no, no. it makes well, no difference sounds like you've never been to a wedding they're at their best when they walk in but at the end of the night mm, it's, yeah. a, it's the open bar thing man like the people get anything anytime something's free and it not like anything in the life in the world is free then people just go nuts about it and yeah. overindulge right and, and so they, if, if it's off. Yeah, if, yeah if it's alcohol then it's a whole nother story it's just right. like 
Uh, and everybody comes in hot. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the, no yeah. pacing. Yeah, our, our bartenders were pretty good at like managing that and pacing it out, but some people just. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? Happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you've been you do you're bartending at the wedding venues and you're doing some other bartending as well. What point do you start getting really into whiskey? Um, I think I first started hosting whiskey tastings in 2011. Uh, and it was mostly with my friends. I did my first Robbie Burns day and we cooked a haggis and we oh, brought nice. in a bunch of different whiskey. Um, and, and I kind of started doing research on like the address to the haggis and the, the poetry of Robbie Burns. And I think I really got caught up in it big time in kind of 2011. Um, my brother got married in 2010 and we got kilts for it. Yeah. Uh, and so it all just kind of started to snowball from there. You got a kilt in your closet, you're getting into whiskey and it just yeah. kind of... <laughs> It just kind of went from there. So at work, I became the, oh, you, you like scotch? Go talk to John at the other end of the bar. He'll, he'll, right. he'll hang up with you all night. Um, right, right. The collection started to grow, and then it was, uh, I was on blended whiskey a lot, then I found single malt, and then I realized I still kind of like blended, and it was playing from there. So um, love single malts, but there's some great blended malt out there too, great blended scotch in general. Yeah, I thought, I'd sort of discovered that later. Um, that like, because I was sort of, you know, if you're like a single malt drinker, you almost have like a bias towards blended scotch for a period of time, and then you start drinking some of it, and it was like, well, some of this stuff is like fucking fantastic. Like, <laughs> exactly. you know, you know what's really what, what I was surprised by how good it was is like some of these, some of the Johnny Walkers, like. I, like because in my head they was, I was like that's that cheap blended scotch that they serve on a plane right <laughs> you know yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then like you start trying the different uh, variations that they have like the green and the platinum and the green like, one of my all time favorites it's so fucking good like yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong it is it, yeah. honestly I, I don't represent it I always make the joke I'm, I'm a liquor rep but I'm a whiskey fan first mm. and like I uh, green label is fantastic like it's a great blended malt it's it's awesome yeah, we had uh, actually we had uh, the Frederic Reserve. I think she she is uh, the Johnny Walker rep for at least. Thank you, Rick. We were talking about that before. At any rate, that has nothing to do with your story, John. So why, don't we, why, why, don't, why don't I try and stay focused here? <laughs> and I've got the ADD bug. It happens. You hit me on a tangent, and off I go. What was like the first scotch, the first dram that you had that was just like, okay, this was kind of life changing for me. This blew my mind. Oh, let me think about that. I really enjoyed Glenlivet for a while there. Um, like Glenlivet 12 was kind of the first single malt I tried and I was like, okay, this is pretty good. Um, but then I think I was out with my uncle and he poured me a, a dram of Glenfiddich 15 and that was my really first, like with the Solera vat, that they've got a, a good amount of Oloroso sherry cask into there. And I think mm -hmm. that's when I started to fall into love with sherried whiskey. And mm -hmm. I love peated whiskey. I love bourbon barrel finishes, but man, I love sherry cask whiskey. And, me too. Uh, yeah. When I found I, that, I didn't realize scotch could be that way for, at mm -hmm. first. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it really uh, rounds off the edges. Yeah, uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I didn't expect because like you have your Lagavulin and your Laphroaig and they're great whiskeys. I love them now. But when you're new into it, either you love it or you hate it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I, I kind of expected all scotch to be that way early on. And then I, I went, you know what? No, there's there's some great blends. There's some great sherry casks. And don't get, again, don't get me wrong. I love peated whiskey now. But uh, sherry cask was what I really started to fall into love with for sure. Well, I think that, that and that you can speak to this more than I can, but um, like when you're educating people, I think a lot, I've found a lot of the problem, like even just serving whiskey to people over the bar, like when people talk about scotch, they're like, oh no, I can't stand that. It's like smoky, like feeling like I'm chewing on a plank of wood type. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you probably only tried peated scotch. Like that's just one kind of scotch, right? Like, exactly. and, and, and if you jump into that first, like I kind of feel like that's when you, that's when you sort of have to develop your palate into a PD into appreciating the really PD stuff. Yeah. And so oh, if for you, sure. Yeah. So if you start with that, of course you're not going to like it. It's like nobody likes any alcohol the first time they try it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. My screen off in Sprite. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're, I mean, you're hundred percent right. And it, it's, uh, usually when someone says, oh, I just don't like scotch, I say, well, you probably just haven't had the right one yet. Yeah. Um, and, so, and some people do never end up liking yeah. peaty scotch as well. But you're certainly not going to like it as the first one you try, I don't think. 
Exactly. I mean, I, I've met people that do. Uh, mm-hmm. Like uh, Glenn Fiddick of Fire and Cane uh, is one that I really love to introduce people to Scotch with because it's a softer or it's a softer peat. Uh, it's not Isla peat, which is like medicinal and rubbery. It's more like a Highland kind of um, earthy and green, but it's got a nice sweet rum cask finish that brings with this great toffee flavor that mixes in with the smoke that you you try someone on. You're like. Okay, if this is peated whiskey, I can get into this pretty mm. well. And and I mean, again, some people dive into their like like a lajic, like a heavily peated uh, whiskey, and they go, "I love it," uh, off the get go. But not everyone, and right. uh, that, that's that's why I love like one of my my big tastings I do these days is I do a tour of Scotland tasting, and we'll try some from the Speyside region with bourbon barrels. We'll try some from the Highlands that maybe have a sherry cask interaction. And then we'll go to Isla and try some there too. And it's like, okay, these are five distinctly different tastes of whiskey. Uh, Scotch, sorry, I say them interchangeably. Mm. Um, and, um, and, and they go, okay, all right. Uh, now I'm starting to get it. It's diverse. There's tons. It's like wine. You can get yeah. vegetal flavors or fruity flavors or like tobacco. Mm-hmm. So the, the, there's all sorts of different things you can get from scotch too. And I, I, again, it's just a matter of the right one for them. Right. Uh, just for people who are listening to the show and maybe aren't like, like have not studied whiskey at all, let's say, uh, run through the different regions in Scotland for us and like how you would describe the, the um, flavors that come from those regions. Yeah, so I mean, there's the the big one that most Scotch distilleries really come from these days is called uh, Speyside, right near the River Spey, um, kind of in the heart of the Highlands. Um, the big town in there is Dufton. That's where like Glenfiddich, Glenlivet, Balvenie, Ben Riek, all these huge Speyside brands that you've heard of before. That's where they come from. Right. Um, you're then getting into the Highlands from there, and that's and, and you're going to get like a lot of fruity and kind of honeys and vanilla flavors coming from Speyside generally. It's still a lot of diversity. The Highlands is where you can get a ton of diversity coming through. You get more like robust flavors. Uh, you can get some peat coming out of there. You get a lot of sherry casks coming out of there. Uh, there's then the Lowlands, which are known for more delicate whiskey. Sorry, I, I, I don't want to cut you up, but like, what are some of the big brands that come from the Highlands? Oh, sorry, yeah. yeah so yeah. I mean, like Highland whiskeys, like a uh, big one for me is Glendronic, um, mm. which is all sherry cask production. They don't really use bourbon barrels in there. Uh, there's Deanston, that's another really nice one. Um, there, I mean, there. There are so many. I think Dalwini is another good one. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of really nice ones. You've then got the Lowlands, which doesn't have a ton of distilleries, uh, but they're known for more delicate whiskeys like Auchentotian. Almost more similar to um, Irish whiskey in that sense. Again, they're just a bit more approachable, delicate whiskeys. I just realized I've been pronouncing that one wrong this whole time. I always thought it was Auchentotian, but it's Auchentotian. It doesn't matter. Tomato, tomato. Yeah, okay. Is Auchentotian. Uh, oh, I don't know. I'm like, I. You would know better than I do. I just, that's what I've been saying. I've got a map here. I wonder if it's got the pronunciation yeah. on it. Probably not. But um, but yeah, that's I mean, an that's an underrated one, uh, especially at the price point. Yeah, no, I, I'm yeah. A, I, again. I'm yet to have a whiskey I really haven't enjoyed, yeah. uh, especially in Scotland. <laughs> yeah, uh, what's the saying? My favorite whiskey is the one in my stomach, and my second favorite is the one in my hand. Yeah, no, yeah. So continue on. I just that was just a little aside. No worries. Uh, yeah. So then we've got like then Isla is the next big one. It's known for the really kind of intense, robust, smoky whiskeys. You've got again Bunahaven, which is actually the gentle dram of Isla. I still got all that kind of salinity in there, but they don't have peat in their core range, but they do in their their uh, their their kind of un aged range. But then you've also got like Lagavulin, Ardbeg, Lafroig coming from Isla. You've got a bunch of islands surrounding off the coast. Those are the more official uh, regions. The, the sub-regions are kind of there. Uh, the islands off the coast, which is where like a Legic or a Tobermory or like an Isle of, uh, a Talisker coming from Isle of Skye comes from. Uh, and then you've got uh, Campbelltown, which is a tiny little distillery, um, or distillery region, a region off the coast or just on the, the, the corner of the uh, the coast of Scotland, um, and again, a kind of small area, uh, kind of similar to Isla in that regard. Um, but uh, those are the kind of 
main regions that, that comes from Scotland. And again, you're getting more diversity these days. The, some people say the regions aren't quite as important to know as they used to be, um, but still good to know, still good to try, because uh, generally, if you like a Highland whiskey, you'll probably like another Highland whiskey. If you like a Speyside, like a Glenfiddich, you'll probably try Belvenny and love it as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's interesting to talk about. So what you say that they're getting more diverse, and maybe the regions are not as... Um uh, important to re- recognize anymore. So, like, what what has changed? Are people? Is it just the way new distilleries are popping up and the way they're distilling, or is it? Uh, I mean, because a lot of it comes from the earth as well, right? So, yeah, for sure. I mean, the water source that they get really plays a a um, a role in it. Like, if they get a nice like soft water, you can get some really nice fruits. Whereas if you have a kind of harder water, you can get, get some kind of crazy flavors like Glen Glossa, a tiny distillery I represent is on the coast of the Highlands, kind of facing northeast-ish. And it's got crazy hard water and you get these wild notes of like pineapple and banana coming through on it in a scotch, which is just awesome. So, I mean, yeah, definitely where they are and the, the, the earth that surrounds them plays a role in it. But then the distilleries are trying new things like Glenfiddich really never offered a, a, a peated range from its core expressions, but now they've got Glenfiddich Fire and Cane, which allows you to try a peated Speyside, which doesn't happen a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do they, where do they get their peat from then? Uh, the Glenfiddich gets it from the Highlands, generally Aberdeenshire, which is like a nice kind of forested area. Uh, so it's, it's uh, peat is basically a, a product of whatever died and decayed on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so because it's all forest coming down on top of it, it's earthier, it's greener, whereas Isla, it's all seaweed and salt water. So it's rubbery and medicinal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you can really taste that seaweed characteristic on the Isla stuff. I noticed. Oh, yeah. That. My father-in-law just loves that stuff. I love it, too. <laughs> the, the saltier, the better for him. <laughs> He's yeah. all about that. I love it, too. But it's also like I got to be in the mood for it. Like, I can't just be getting down on Isla Scotch <laughs> all day, every day. It's, 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 it's like, it's heavy. It's heavy. But, yeah, it, um, it definitely is. And I mean, uh, that's really kind of one of the reasons why I love Bonhoeven. It's, it's it's a bit more approachable for an Isla whiskey. And it's got these really great, like, salted caramel notes also coming through it. It's, mm-hmm. well, now I want a Bonhoeven. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, you know, our listeners won't be able to see this, obviously, but I'm pretty sure you've got it behind you right now. I do, yeah. It's, it's, it's right there. <laughs> He's, it's quite a collection going on behind John in his, uh, his, in his uh, Zoom yeah, it is something else. Uh, yeah. So, obviously, this is a lot of the stuff. Let, let's talk about your collection. You've uh, you've been collecting this stuff, obviously, for many years over yep. time. And I'm sure becoming an ambassador for a big distribution company helps meet it up a little bit. But, like, yeah. talk to me about some of your, your favorite bottles that you found or have collected. Oh, uh, well, let's see. I mean... I've, <laughs> One of my favorites I love to go to, and I don't know if it's because I really love the flavor because it's good, but it's uh, distilled on my 10th birthday. Oh, uh, cool. <laughs> this one here is Ben, it's what's so a Ben Reich 1998. So it's a single cask, cask number 7759. It's a 17 year old from a Pedro Jimenez sherry cask, sherry punchin. Uh, and Pedro Jimenez is known for it's a it's like an intensely sweet sherry cask, mm-hmm. um, so right up my alley. But then yeah, it was distilled on May twenty seventh, nineteen ninety eight, when I was ten years old. Uh, it's at forty seven point two, and it's just full of these great sherry flavors. Uh, and Ben Riek is one of my favorite space side distilleries, just because they they're kind of eclectic in what they do. They tried coming at it in a few different ways. They try peated whiskey. They triple distill the whiskey sometimes, which most, uh, almost every distillery in Scotland double distills. So it allows for a bit more kind of delicate character, I guess, in some ways, but still robust sherry flavor. So that's one of my favorite ones that I found in this job. Another fun one is uh, Glenfiddich Winter Storm. It's have you heard of the experimental series from Glenfiddich? Yeah, I've tried. Um, run through what the experimental ones are. Fire and Cane's one of them, right? Yeah, so Fire yeah. and Cane is yeah. the most recent one where they took the peated whiskey, which they never do, and put it in a rum cask. Right. The first so one we have that one at my bar because it's a rum bar. So we're like, okay, if we're going to get like some whiskey there, it makes sense to do. So we have like the Balbeni Caribbean cask. We have the. Um, Drinking it now. Yeah, that <laughs> one's delicious. It is. <laughs> yeah. It is. Yeah, so uh, yeah, talk to us about the winter one, though. I don't, I'm not sure if yeah, we're so with that. Winter Storm, the, the former brand ambassador for Glenfiddich nationally in Canada, Beth 
Beth Havers. She had an idea of inviting uh, the malt master Brian Kinsman from Glenfiddich to Canada to go help make ice wine because they were looking for their next experimental series. They had the IPA experiment, which is whiskey finished in casks that mm. contained uh, an IPA. So I picked up on some of those beer flavors. Um, and then we had Project 20, where 20 people were invited to the distillery and they each got to choose their favorite cask. And those 20 casks were brought together and it's tons of flavor. So those are the first two. And they were looking for experiment three. Uh, and they said, okay, Brian, come to Canada. So he went to Niagara Falls and he started helping them with the ice wine process. He saw how they picked the grapes in the dead of winter. He tried some. He said, okay, this is pretty cool. Uh, so with Glenfiddich 21-year-old, generally speaking, it's finished in rum casks, which is awesome. Grand Reserve rum casks, tons of flavor. But he took that 21-year-old and he actually brought some ice wine casks with him back to Scotland and he put the 21 in those ice wine casks. So you've got this awesome, well-aged scotch that all of a sudden has that sweet grape note toward it, like that that unique ice wine flavor. Uh, and it, it worked out really well. They did two batches of it uh, because they were able to get that much flavor out of the, the, the 10 casks they brought back with them. Uh, the first batch had tons of flavor. The second batch had still a bunch of flavor, but they limited at just those two batches. But it's this great, well-aged scotch with that awesome, sweet kind of ice wine grape note to it. It's uh, really it's interesting because it's not something you would think that would go together. But like, I mean, yeah. I guess that's what doing an experimental series is all about. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Brian's never really satisfied until he's found something kind of unique. I'm sure if you visit the distillery, you'll find just oodles of experimental berries, uh, berry, berries, barrels that he's trying in different corners of the warehouse. So it's something interesting that you touched on while you were talking about some of your favorite bottles there that I think is interesting that maybe a lot of people don't recognize is how closely related something that distilling can be to like the winemaking process. Like everybody knows that um, like a winemaker has such a massive influence on one the fi- on the finished product, right? Like the, uh, the vintner. But I don't think they realize that. Like they just think, oh, well, you know, if you're in this area of Scotland, that's why your scotch is going to taste type thing. And they don't they, – so – Talk to us a little bit about like what, like how how a, a distiller of scotch can influence the final product and and what goes into how they play around with what uh, where they're getting to where they want to go. Yeah, I mean there there are so many things that can influence flavor of scotch from like the type of barley you choose. Like there's different strains of barley that provide different enzymes or different flavors in general. So that's kind of the starting place. But then really to start off making whiskey, you're just making beer essentially. Uh, You're taking it, you're you're fermenting it, and you've got like a a strong beer, like an eight or 9% alcohol volume beer. Um, And then you'll start to distill it. I mean, the type of yeast you use can have influence. Like if you talk to craft beer makers, they have so many different strains of yeast and they've got proprietary strains that really provide them with their classic flavor. Like banana is a classic flavor. You get some from craft beer uh, yeast. So that's another thing to take into consideration. But one of the things the distilleries really kind of take their their pride in and make sure they've got uh, heavy control over is their stills and the shape of them. They're all copper stills, they're pot stills, and it's that copper that can really take out some... Um, some of those impurities you don't want in your scotch and get rid of some of those flavors, those sulfurs you don't really want to taste in your scotch. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's the shape of it can really influence it. Like someone like Ben Riek, they basically just got your standard almost lantern shape, like the, the big bulb at the bottom, and then it just thins out into a lantern neck from there. And it's it doesn't allow for a ton of surface area for interaction. So sometimes Ben Riek triple distills, and that's one of the reasons. Uh, whereas someone like Glenfiddich, they've got over 30 stills on site, and there's tons of different shapes. And they've got their own full-time coppersmith on site who's making sure that the stills, like the copper is properly thick. He can hit it with a hammer and make sure it's uh, it's in good shape. And if he, if he hears something wrong, he'll take it offline because they don't want a poor still influencing bad new make spirit coming off. Ultimately, 60, 65% or more of the flavor comes from the barrels that they're in. And that's something that the the scotch makers are really playing with now. Um, I think it's about a year and a half ago, the Scotch Whiskey Association, the group that uh, writes the law on what can be called scotch, loosened the rules a little bit to allow for 
more barrel types um, to be used in the maturation process, generally in finishing. And the finishing is just where the whiskey, like with the rum cask, spends a few months after the main part of maturing. Um, and they will, they've kind of opened that up to allow new flavors. Like they can use tequila casks in their finishing of scotch now, which is one of the crazy changes that came through recently. Mm. So you might start to see, I'm sure that there are out there already, tequila finished scotch whiskey. Uh, so there's just so many different elements that go into it um, that can really influence the final flavor, the final mouthfeel. Um, there's so many parts to it. Sorry, I get really geeky and nerdy, and I run off. No, that's okay. That's, what, uh, that's why you're on the show. We want to hear this stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I mean, we do a lot. So the show kind of is what it is, and we just sometimes we get talking about the person's personal journey through the service industry, and sometimes we get experts like you, and it's great to talk about stuff like this. So, well, thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, so. It, like without having so pretty much you're a self-taught sort of whiskey expert would you would that would you say that's accurate i mean more or less yeah uh, so uh, I, I am taking certification for my level two in spirits right now um it's it, it's it's a lot of the foundational stuff and it's a lot of the stuff i already knew um but it's nice to kind of get more in-depth kind of formal looks at it um, but when I first applied for the job, I had my first interview and the, the hiring manager goes, okay, you're clearly passionate about Scotch. You clearly know a fair bit. You're meeting with my boss for the second interview. I want you to show, you know, what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So between interviews, I went home and I kind of went off the deep end and I made a 14 page Excel spreadsheet on every bottle of Scotch that the company sells and just went like alcohol volume, barrel type flavors, master distiller, and I just went nuts on trying to find everything. Huh. Um, and, and so, so how do you fucking remember all that to regurgitate it, though? Well, so I literally brought <laughs> in the spreadsheet. I was like, this is how much I love it. Like, threw it on the Oh, screen. yeah. Like, I'm a nerd. Like, yeah, bring it on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and so I, that brings me to kind of something else I wanted to ask you about. Like, okay, you, you listed off all the different scotches that you rep. How do you, like, I mean, obviously you've you've drank them all several hundred times or whatever but like how do you keep it straight like when you're I mean I guess you're probably not presenting all them all at once to uh, like you're maybe you're just doing Glenfiddich one night or whatever right but like how do you keep all the flavor notes together in your head like yeah I mean it's <laughs> it's not always easy and sometimes yeah. I'll just kind of go okay uh this is what I'm talking about today. But I mean, at this point, I've been talking about these brands specifically for over two years now. And so it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of all committed to memory. And I'll, I'll sometimes just unlock a part of my brain by accident mm. when someone asks a question. I'm like, oh, yeah, right, this. Um, but other times, I mean, I, 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 I often find myself just sitting at home, like reading tubes and going, oh, yeah, right, okay, that. But right. I mean, it's, because uh, uh, I can see like where uh, if you're I mean you know the regions well obviously so like it's like okay if you're doing a certain uh, spirit from a certain region you can you have a starting base of what it's most likely going to be like but yeah. then but then when you like you can rattle off the backstories of the distilleries so quickly like I don't know how you keep it all together <laughs> yeah I mean, the, the distilleries it, it's almost like it's like telling a story that you've told a thousand times mm -hmm. before. Like the, the, the more I talk about them, the more I do tastings, the more it just becomes committed to memory and it just kind of goes. Like um, when I worked at the previous wedding venue when I was the food and beverage manager, every now and then they'd be overrun with sales appointments during the week. So I'd help them out. And it was okay. Well, I know this floor holds 350 and the DJ sets up over there and this is the cost per person. And it just kind of started to happen. And with Scotch, it was, it was that much better because I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to talk about this. Yeah. It was kind of like, hold me back. Oh my God. I, I, if you let me go, I'll talk for hours. Right. Um, yeah. And like when you, it's just like anybody, if you get talking about something that you're really passionate about and love on your own, it's pretty easy to, to remember and to get it across as well, right? And this whole industry, we say it a lot on the show, is this whole industry is storytelling. That's yeah. what it's all about. Like, whether you're the chef putting together your plate of local ingredients or farm source from here or whatever, and if you're the server, bring it to the table and talking about either the food or the wine or the whiskey or the beer or whatever it is, it's all like that. How you sell this stuff is telling the story. Yeah, and I mean, that's... 
that's almost kind of part of it because when I'm doing tastings, yeah, I talk about the tasting notes because it's important. Sure. Uh, some people, if they're new to it, they'll go, ah, yes, this whiskey tastes like burning. And cool, if you're new to whiskey, that's yeah. fun. <laughs> uh, I'll tell them there's vanillas and there's honeys and there's there's marzipan notes. And it's good to know. But at the same time, I'm trying to make like an emotional connection between the mm. brand and something that they like. Uh, so it's, it's, it's almost more important to tell the stories behind it, to tell yes. like how Bunahaven until the 1960s relied purely on boats like to, to, to puffer boats to bring them their supplies and bring the whiskey back to land so that's why the, the logo is that, that helmsman at the, the, the boats uh, well helm um, <laughs> bringing about the whiskey because it's, it's those stories that really some people connect with yeah they might connect with the flavor and they'll say that was a spectacular whiskey but they'll remember that Glenfiddich is the valley of the deer and that it's a family owned business and it's still family owned today hundred more than a hundred years later mm-hmm. um, yeah that, and that's the thing they might remember like they're going to remember okay I remember liking that one but they're not going to remember the fucking tasting those they're going to remember the story behind it and that, yeah. and that they like it right like yeah exactly I, yeah, yeah yeah i think that's a huge part of it and um and it and i mean you're lucky in a way that like so many of these distilleries have amazing stories yeah like it's not it's not like you're trying to sell like jackson triggs wine or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> i'm up for the challenge yeah. <laughs> i worked at sears in high school selling power tools i think I yeah, can so you, you can do it, you can do it. <laughs> um Okay, so talk to us a little bit about some of your favorite. Like when you, we were talking earlier, and um, when we got started here about like how you kind of get back into blended yeah. uh, spirits, uh, blended uh, whiskeys. Uh, what are some of your favorites there? And like, wh- what was the one that brought you kind of back? Like where you were just like, oh shit. Uh, it's going to sound cheesy because I represent it, but Monkey Shoulder was one of the ones that really brought me right black, right back into blended Scotch. It's really um, good. And blended malt specifically. It's. It's different. It's designed to bring people into whiskey that don't necessarily think they would like scotch. Like it's mm-hmm. it's full of like ginger and citrus and vanilla flavors, and it's just as good to make a cocktail with as it is to enjoy any other way you want to. And it's fun. Um, I mean, between that and Johnny Walker Green Label, I kind of went. I've had yeah. some simple that I like, but these are so good too. Mm-hmm. Um, and Monkey Shoulder, kind of a big part of their marketing campaign is the cocktail part of it, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. On the label, it says 100% malt whiskey made for mixing. Right. Uh, so one of that really got me back into it, I think even before I tried to... We had a Johnny Walker ambassador when I worked at... Uh, when I owned Rabbit, uh, White Rabbit, uh, they that came yeah. and did like... A, a, and he was amazing. I can't remember his name now, but he did a, the whole run to the Johnny Walker. I was like, okay, with Johnny Walker or whatever. But then we were trying it and I was like, wow, this is fucking good. But the one that got me even before that was Hedonism. Oh, yeah. <sighs> Man. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to find, but... And, and that's part of it is some of the really good ones are hard to find and it's uh, I think Compass Box is another really nice one yeah Compass Box makes hedonism I believe yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah there, there's there's some, uh, some some really good good whiskeys out there that just I, I think blended whiskey gets a harder time than it deserves <laughs> I know and now I don't feel so bad when I'm on the plane and that's all they've got yeah, hey, <laughs> some black label. That's fine. It's uh, <laughs> actually yeah. black label is fine. There's really nothing wrong with it. It's seller like, for a reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess it's just the red label that you know, I have a hard time with. But <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so like, what's let's talk about like moving back into eventually. We're hoping that enough of these dummies will stop their anti-vaxxing and get us back to back to normal. We can only uh, hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's like, what's the future look like for you? You're obviously, it's been nice that you've been able to keep your job through this whole thing. Like, let's be honest. Um, Very much so. Yeah. So uh, are you looking forward to getting back into the bars and doing these live tastings again? Are you nervous about it at all? How are you feeling? Weirdly, I am nervous and I don't know if I really have a reason. I've got an in-person tasting this Thursday at one of the Club Link golf courses. Um, and it's just kind of like, I know I'm going to be fine, but right. it's just kind of that weird nervous. It's like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's, it's like, 
asking a girl out that you know is already into you. Like, you know it's going to be fine. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but you're just nervous anyways for the sake of it. And yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. Like, I, I am naturally a people person. That's why I've been in this industry for, for so long. Um, gave up my weekends for all of my 20s because I was having a good time getting behind the bar and talking with people and hanging out with the people in the industry. Uh, and, I, and I think I'm very much in, interested in, in getting back to it. It's, it's, it's kind of been a nice break. Like it kind of taught me to slow down a little bit because I was going every day and then I'd go to a hockey game on my way home and I was, my house was basically just a place to sleep for a while there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting back to it and, yeah, like interacting with people, sharing drams, actually clinking my glass on someone right. else's. Yeah, I think the nervous so thing. You can do this. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I I think the nerves make sense though, in a certain way. Like I like we've all been so cut off from each other, and like this, like I mean, we do these um, podcasts over Zoom anyway, because we it's just easier because we talk to people from all over the world. But sure. like the. But like now, I think this is kind of what we're just used to doing. But it's also like you get you're so cut off from people, and even like getting to talk to you today or whatever, it's not the same as if we were hanging out together, drinking a glass of whiskey together. It's not the same connection. Yeah. And I, like I even know for my staff, when we finally got back to work after this last lockdown, like I have like incredibly experienced staff, and they were nervous about getting back to work. You know what I mean? Because it's just like yeah. you've been so cut off from people for so long. It's like, can, can I still do this? Or yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. And actually, it was that was almost the hardest part for me about getting into this job from leaving uh, the wedding industry because I, I was wedding bartender. I left for a while. I came back and went and bar manager, food and beverage manager before this role. But I left and I, like I got offered this job. I was like, dream job. Holy crap. Like, this is spectacular. And about four months in, I was like picking up lunch at Ken- Kensington Market between account visits. And I was like, I'm lonely, man. Like, I'm used to having <laughs> yeah. eight bartenders and 40 service staff and like all my management team with me. And I was like, I have the best job in the world and I would not give it up for anything. But this is just such a change. Right. Because I'm on the road all the time. And yeah, I'm, I'm meeting people. But it was just a it, it, it was an adjustment period for a second. I was like, OK, I need to find a way to, to to get my people fixed at the same time as having this awesome job. Yeah. And it's very different. Right. Like because you're you instead of like you kind of the conversation part is almost eliminated with your job now because you roll in and you've got something that needs to be talked about. And it's the same, probably, for the most part. Like, I mean, you'll get different questions for sure, but like, um, which is probably what you look forward to. But, <laughs> but like, your spiel <laughs> has got to be kind of the same because you're selling a product. And yeah. like, you walk in, you do the tasting, you do that. It's so different than the bartending experience where every, you don't know how any conversation is going to go. Yeah. And that was some of the most fun. Like, you'd, You'd, you'd walk into a wedding and be like, oh, okay, it's 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 a second marriage, it's a mature wedding, it might be boring, and then it's one of the most fun nights you've ever bartended. Right. And then you're coming into another like 300-person wedding for 24-year-olds and like, oh, this is going to be a rager, and it's kind of boring. Right, so right. You, you never know how, I mean, sometimes they are a rager and it's awesome, but uh, other times you're just like, oh, this is not what I expected, but at the same time it was just but like the coolest thing we ever had is we did proms too, and we had Connor McDavid's prom at our at our. Oh wedding. really? <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I know him. <laughs> <laughs> so like, how did you how do you deal with that? Like, how do you make it try to make the experience unique when you're going to do sort of the same tastings over and over again, selling the same products, and like like when you were used to like like I was talking about earlier, having these different experiences as a bartender every night's different. Where like how how did you find that transition and how do you try and make them unique? I think it almost worked out for me that I didn't come from the liquor world, like at least liquor sales into this when I started this job, because I came as a bartender and I already had that interaction going on. So with all of my tastings I try to make them interactive and like funny, like I, I don't want to go up there and say, well, this is this and it tastes like this and we're on to this and this is this and it tastes right. like, I want people to have a good time. I want to customize every tasting based on the group that I'm with. And, and there's sometimes where maybe they don't feel like they're biting and you try three or four different different ways and other times you're just you're just vibing with the entire group and it's it's so much fun. And honestly, I come out of those tastings with such a high just because mm-hmm. it's like, that was awesome. 
they feel the same way with the whiskey as I did. And we were just like, it was, it was clicking and it was working. So I try to just t- make each tasting a little bit different. And if they're into the history, we focus on the history. If they're into the, the technique behind making the whiskey, we'll talk more about that. If they just want to taste the whiskey and have fun, we'll taste the whiskey and have fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I don't really have, I don't think I've ever done the same tasting twice. <laughs> oh, that's good. And so it's kind of the same skill set. You got to read your audience and figure out what they're looking for, which is the same as any time we go to a guest. Like exactly. Sometimes you got to figure out what the guest is looking for or their experience with you. Sometimes they want you to just drop stuff and fuck off. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. You're yeah. not wrong in the slightest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad that that's. Uh, I'm glad that that's worked out for you because I think that. Uh, yeah, it, it could be this situation where you go from like a bartending situation into the rep and ambassador situation and it's just like like I could, I could see how people would not like it if they don't make it their own because it's a lot of travel it's a lot of like we had Aaron Mail on here and he was taught he was discussing how yeah great guy uh, discussing how he spent so much time on fucking paperwork now that he didn't see coming when he took yeah. the job didn't yeah. expect that <laughs> no yeah so there's a lot of there's a lot of tedium that comes with the job so it's cool that you're still able to keep it like you keep your passion for it and and go and do the tastings and know that you can make them your own yeah that, that's again that's that's the part of the role i live for and everyone goes you have the best job in the world and i mean i'm not going to argue with them like yeah <laughs> the worst day in my job is ah we're out of stock at this store crap but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean never going to tell people I, I i don't enjoy my job but that's it there were things i didn't expect the administrative work behind it the planning my route and showing all my 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 like managers okay well i did these this many tastings this month for this many people and i think it was worth this much value to the company right yeah that side of it and it makes sense of course but uh, i live for those tastings i live for there was just before covid there was a london food and wine show and it was myself and aaron mail and stan zelik our uh, vodka ambassador with the company Uh, and then the entire kind of territory manager team around london came in to help and it was this massive show and it was it was a few days and it was just so much fun like it was interacting with the people but it was also trading like shots with the other brand ambassadors i'm like Mm -hmm. actual like insults at each other like fun insults with each other uh like from across the way and oh yeah you know that Aaron guy, you leave him alone. You come over and you taste my whiskey. It's fine. And like, just, yeah. it, it was, it's just fun. And doing those, like a whiskey show in, in Ottawa was like one of the first big shows I went to. And it's just, it's a riot. So, I mean, uh, I'll, again, I'll never complain that I've got, <laughs> got a bad job. But uh, yeah, there were parts of it I didn't expect. Who's your uh, vodka ambassador's name? Uh, Stan Zelik. He works okay. with uh, Vibrova and Luxusova. I uh, think that we need to get him on the show so he can explain to me why the fuck anyone would need a vodka ambassador. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. If, on, yeah, tell, you can tell him. If he wants to accept the challenge, you can come, in, you can come on the show. hilarious. He's... Uh, You'll you'll enjoy him. Okay. Well, talk so passionately about potatoes. Hook us up. Well, I'm not joking about that. I need him to convince (laughs) me. (laughs) All right. We'll send Stan your way for sure. Yeah. uh, I will. uh, I will say this. uh, I wanted to touch on before we let you go. You're giving us a lot of time here. That that I do think you're right. And coming from a bar owner's uh, uh, perspective, there should not be one fucking rep or one fucking ambassador who did not grow up in the service industry. Yeah. Like it's just you can tell you can tell the ones who didn't like they yeah. don't they don't know when to show up they don't know how to sell <laughs> yeah. you when they get there they like they're bogged down with stuff that we don't have time for the details on like yeah. you can all the best reps that I've ever dealt with have been involved in the service industry previously that's how you got to do it yeah so you can't and, you're, and, service. <laughs> and you're one of them uh, full disclosure John did come and do a whiskey tasting at Sugar Run for my staff and it was fucking amazing it was super <laughs> interesting and uh, we got to try lots of great scotch so uh, keep doing what you're doing man you're great at your job and uh, thanks very much for coming on this was fun hey thank you I appreciate it very happy to be there and uh, hopefully come out and see you guys soon yeah do it I like I own a rum bar and a wine bar but I still like tasting whiskey perfect <laughs> all of we'll, we'll do it all why not but, yeah <laughs> (laughs) Exactly. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much.